Let me invite you to take your copy of God's Word and go to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. One of the things I love about uh, our musicians under Mike's leadership is the diversity, uh, the different sounds that we have. Um, I, I really appreciate that. Um, I think I'm going to join the team next time we sing Blessed Be the Name. I'll bring the jug up and blow into the jug. Um, but uh, I, I really do appreciate the different sounds. I'm not, I'm not making fun of it when I say that. Maybe a little bit, but I'm just, I, I appreciate it. And I would clap. I've, I've tried to share this before. I would clap, but I can't do both. I can't sing and clap at the same time. So, you know, I figure I better sing than clap. Maybe some of you prefer I clap, though, <laughs> now that I think about that. Um, maybe, like, you know, stick with what you're better at. So, um, anyway. Um, in my email, I, I noted that we need to be uh, praying for Sarah Penley. She's in, in Haiti and uh, on a missions trip. And my wife just told me, uh, I didn't know this, uh, Brendan Maxwell, I guess, is in Honduras as well right now uh, on, on a trip as well. So uh, I'm going to stop and pray for, for those two ladies uh, right now, uh, and then we'll go into our message. Let's pray for them. Father, there's two of our, our members that are on different types of missions trips in different places of the world, one in Honduras and one in Haiti. And I just ask that you would bless their efforts. I ask that, that you would use this to strengthen their faith and, and that they would have opportunities to share the love of Christ uh, with with many people. So we're grateful that they are going. We're grateful that they're using their skill sets for your glory. And we pray you bring them back safely to us and that, again, you would work in, in the lives that they're ministering to, but also in their own hearts, that they would, they would see you and that they would have this time that's a little bit different than normal schedule to spend time with you and that you would minister deeply to them while they're away. So we're grateful that they are serving you, and we ask for blessing upon them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So we, this is week number two of our three-week discipleship series, or making disciples series. We started this year uh, with this theme of saying that uh, Matthew 28, 19 to 20, go and make disciples. That's, that was the command, and that's what we're, we're doing. We said that this is something we need to get back to in our church, and a culture of disciple-making. As, as I've been looking uh, ahead and making goals for year 2017 and, and then even into years beyond 2017, one of the goals that I, I have uh, for this church, or one of the visions and the passions that I have, is that we have a culture of disciple-makers here or people who make disciples, that that's just what we do. And so I think we're going to have to keep talking about this. We're going to have to keep praying about it. We're going to have to keep coming back to the Scriptures and seeing what the Scriptures have asked us to do or even, let's be more truthful, told us what to do. And so this is the reason why we're coming back to this, and we're going to spend this week and the next week we'll finish it up. Uh, and then I'm out of town uh, the following week. Pastor Mike will be preaching. And then when we come back from being out of town, uh, it's Advent season already. Can you believe it? First Sunday of Advent is just uh, a, a couple Sundays away here, a few Sundays away and so we're looking forward to, to getting into our Advent season as well. But it, last week, remember that uh, Venn diagram that I, I put up on the screen last week, 
And um, remember the three circles there. And, and we, we talked about how that there's the, the heart, the head, and the hands. And um, last week we talked about the heart as the motivation or the why do we make disciples. And so we said that there has to be emotional buy-in if we're going to be a culture that makes disciples. Next week, we're going to look at the hands aspect of it. And this is like the how. How do we make disciples? And that's the behavioral buy-in that we're looking for. Now, today, what we're going to look at is this idea that the head involved in making disciples. Now, this is awkwardly titled, this message. The head in making disciples, or the head of making disciples. Mike and I spent hours this week trying to figure out how to title this message. Not really hours, more like seconds. But we didn't really come up with the, the way to say it in a, in a non-awkward way. But nonetheless, this is the intellectual buy-in. This is the what. What are we talking about exactly when we say make disciples? Because we have to have all three of these if we're going to have uh, a culture of making disciples. And remember, we said that balance is the key here. Because if you emphasize, it's like a three-legged stool. If, if you emphasize one over the other, it's going to become unstable. And so if we have a Lots of, uh, of, of buy-in, emotional buy-in, and we say, yeah, this is something we need to do, but we don't know what we're doing or we don't know how to do it. It's not going to uh, make any disciples. It's not going to produce what God wants us to produce. And, and you get the idea. All three have to be together, so balance is important. So for today, what we need to consider <clears throat> excuse me, is what we are talking about when it comes to making disciples. Now, as I was trying to figure out how to, how to address this today, because it's only one message, and it's not like we can make series on this, I was trying to think through what would be the most succinct way of addressing this question of, of what is it that God has really asked us to do here, okay? So in order for us to finally answer that question, I think the best way to do that is to kind of talk about two realities that every disciple has in their life. Okay, and my mind was brought to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2. Let me read verse 1. It says this, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, what's going on here? This is a book that was written by the Apostle Paul, who was writing from prison. This is the last book that he wrote, and he was writing to Timothy, a person that he picked up on one of his missionary journeys. We can read about that in the book of Acts. If you go back to the book of Acts, I'm not asking you to do that, but I'm just telling you, if you wouldn't go back into Acts, you would start reading about Paul's missionary journeys uh, in, after about chapter 11, somewhere around in there, and that's where then you start seeing that, this, that this, uh, 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 this person named Paul began to uh, minister to individual people, and Timothy was one of those people who then joined him, and he became a pastor in the city of Ephesus. And so what Paul is doing here is he's giving commands from a senior pastor to a younger pastor, saying, here's what you need to do, and the implications or the principles are applicable to all of us. So what are the realities of a disciple if we're going to say, what is it we're supposed to be doing here? First reality is this, is that I need all of us to understand today and just want you to think about it, is this, is that you have heard the gospel. So primarily who I'm addressing this morning is people who would claim to be a disciple. 
People who claim to be a follower of Christ. And so if that's you, then you're the person I'm talking to. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, or you would say, I don't know that I'm a disciple of Christ, we'll come back to you, but you can just listen and you, and you can hear what it is that it, for the rest of us that we, we see that the Scriptures teach us. So the reality, though, is that if you're a disciple of Christ, I want you to consider this. I want you to be reminded of this morning, because I think we forget about this too often, and this will inform us of what we're supposed to do, is that this reality that you have heard the good news. Now, I want you to consider God's providence in your life that you've heard the good news, because we tend to take that for granted. We tend to take it for granted that you and I have heard the gospel. And I know I take it for granted. I know I've shared this before with you before, but I grew up in a home where my parents took us to church. We went to church. I, I, think, I, I think I've said this before. I think I was born on a Wednesday, and then Sunday I was in church, okay? It was, it was just what we did as kids. I, I, there's not a memory that I have of us not regularly going to church in my life. And so I, I have been exposed to the gospel from the earliest moments of my life. I know that as immature they were as a time as Christians, my parents still wanted me to know Jesus. And they wanted me to know the importance of the scriptures. And so to the best of their ability, that they would, they would teach it to me. And, 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 I, and now I'm so much more sympathetic to them now that I'm a parent because, because I know the, the, the stumbling and the things that you do, but you still want your kids to know the gospel. And that's what it was in my life, and I'm so grateful for that. But consider, and many of you have the same testimony, but some of you don't. Even if you don't, even if you, you were saved later on in life, consider God's providence in your life. That you heard the gospel. That the gospel message came to you. You heard through your ears. I think of like 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. It says this, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and the Holy Spirit with full conviction. The gospel came to you. You and I are privileged people on this earth that our ears have heard the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Not everyone can say that. God's providence to you has brought you the gospel, and I don't think we should take that for granted. You see, the Great Commission tells us to go. It says, and we've looked at this text before in Matthew 28, it says, go and teach all nations. It says, tells us the scope of our mission there's all nations. And that's not just every country. No, the word for nations there has the idea of ethnic groups. And so it's not even just every country, but it's every ethnic group that we should go through, or we should go to with the gospel. Now, I want you to consider something just by way of example here. I put up a, a map of Nigeria on the screen, and this is a map of, of the country there. So it's one country there, and we have uh, Nigeria, the country. This is, of course, cities and things like that, and, 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 and you see the ocean down there and all that stuff. So there's the country of Nigeria, just one country, and, um, but many cities. Now, I put up another map of Nigeria there, and this is the linguistic groups in Nigeria. So all these are just the, the principal linguistic groups in Nigeria. And not every one of these has a copy of the scriptures. Now, I'm told in what I read, and I don't know, I'm not the resident expert on Nigeria here, but um, I'm told that there's 530 uh, different types of people groups just in the small country of Nigeria alone. And so, and so not every one of those 
And this is just an example because we could go to any of plenty of other countries in the world, but not, not every one of those have had the, the gospel, the Bible translated into their language or, or given to them in some ways. I also read that 86% of all Hindus, Muslims, and Buddhists do not know a Christian. 86% in the world of Muslims, Hindus, and Buddhists don't know a Christian. And you say, well, why is that important? Well, because the Great Commission is structured so that it's brought out by Christians. And in order for the Great Commission to go, the people would have to be in contact with a Christian. And so what I'm trying to understand is that the reality here is that God has been shown great providence in your life that you have heard the gospel through your ears. Somebody at some point in your life brought the gospel to you, and we cannot take that for granted. That's God's gift to you. But not only did you hear it with your ears, because there's plenty of people who have heard it with their ears and they have rejected it. But if you consider yourself a disciple of Christ, then what that means is not only did you hear it with your ears, but you heard it with your heart or in faith. And that we see back in that First Thessalonians passage that that came in spirit and power. And that was something that God did in your life. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. This is for our grace you've been saved through faith, and that's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God so that no one can boast, no one can brag. And so what he's saying there is that the faith that you have was a gift from the Lord. Consider God's promise. This is the reality. If you count yourself a disciple, this is God's abundant mercy and providence that he has granted to you that other people in this world do not have right now. You have heard the gospel many times. And you have been given faith to believe in the gospel. Why do you believe and someone else doesn't believe? Consider even your own family. How many branches of your family tree do not believe in the gospel of Christ? And yet they've heard it the same amount of times as you have. Why do you believe and they don't? Is it because you're smarter? Is it because you're more intellectual? Is it because you have more to offer to God? The answer is a resounding no. It's God's providence. It's God's mercy, and this is the reality that we have to embrace and we have to let motivate our souls. But but also we need to consider God's continued providence in your life. Not only did you hear it one time, not only did he grant you faith, but he has continued to be gracious towards us. We have continued availability and access to the gospel. Never before has there been as many resources available to us. To an English-speaking person, particularly in the United States, is really a grace gift from the Lord. And I don't mean that nationalistically. I mean that because we have so many resources, so such ease of access to the Scriptures, to the Gospel, that so many other people do not have. According to a study in 2015, 57% of the world's languages do not have the Bible. Now, I know that translation efforts are continuing going, so that statistic may be a little bit out of date a year later, but just a year ago, 57% of the world's languages did not have a copy of Scriptures in their their language. Yet we have... We have translations and translations. Uh, we can get, we can get there, there's Bibles that are being sold that are so nuanced. And, 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 and it's almost, you know, they have, you know, uh, uh, you know, 
The Bible for women, the Bible for men, the Bible for students, the the Duck Commander Bible. They have they have you know the Bible for the Chicken Soup Soul people. They have all sorts of Bibles. We can just whatever Bible you want, we can we can get a Bible that's in you know hardcover or soft cover, leather. We can get it in in all sorts of things. And I mean, consider just go in your house, count up the Bibles you have in your house. Not to mention the digital copies that are available to us. God's continued providence is that we have access to this gospel. Not only do we have access, we have accessibility to it. And there is a nuanced difference because something may be available to us but not easily retrieved. And so accessibility has the idea that we can easily get to it. We don't even have to work hard to get it. It'd be one thing if the Bible was available to us, but we all had to make a pilgrimage to, you know, uh, Branson, because that's the Christian Mecca. So, you know, we don't have to go to Branson, Missouri to get our copy of the scriptures, okay? That'd be one thing. It's available to us. We all just have to get in the car and we have to go. No, it's, it's not even just available to us. It's accessible to us. Right now, it, you can download how many copies of the scriptures to your smartphone. And by the way, if I see you on your phone, I assume the best of you that you're not checking Facebook, okay? I assume the best of you that you are reading God's scripture or you're live tweeting the sermon, one of the two. Um, But the idea of accessibility, the gospel is accessibility to us through freedom. We have freedom to do this that God's given to us. We have technology, as we've mentioned, financial freedom that we have to, to buy a copy of the scriptures. If I were to pull every person that, that, you know, adult person in this room right now, if I were to say, could you go to down to the bookstore and buy a copy of the scriptures? I guarantee you, even the poorest of us in this room could buy a copy of the scriptures. It's available to us. It's accessible to us. We have the means to do that. We have continued support in God's providence through fellow Christians. We're not the only person around who believes in Jesus Christ. God has given us churches in this church to find support, strength, and guidance. And so the reality that I thought we had to set the scene for before we answer that final question of what is that here's the reality. The reality that God has been very gracious to you and the fact that you have heard the gospel and he's made it very abundantly available to us and very clear and very accessible to us. And that is something we need to, re- to, to have in our forefront of our minds. Because not only have we been given the gospel, But the second reality is that we have been entrusted with the gospel. You know, God in his mercy and his grace to you and to me and giving us this ease of access and availability and putting us people in our lives to tell us about Christ and putting people in the very same room right now to cheer us on and to encourage us in our, in our spiritual walk. All of that that God has done for us, those are grace gifts that we take for granted far too often. But when we stop doing that and we realize that it's God's providence in our lives, we realize it's for the reason that we've been entrusted with this. What does that mean? This gets at the heart of what we hope to answer this morning. What does entrust mean? The idea of entrust is the idea to transfer or to leave behind or to put into care and protection of someone. You remember the story in the Old Testament? Remember Joseph? Remember his story of how he was sold by his brothers and and then he he went up in the ranks in the, in, the, in the jail. 
And then later on, in Potiphar's house and in the king's house, you remember, you remember this story? Several times in there, it talks about how first in the jail cell and then in Potiphar's house, that people entrusted things to Joseph, entrusted their wealth to Joseph. Potiphar did. Power. This is that idea. Also in the scriptures, I think of like Luke 23, the same word is used of entrust as used in 2 Timothy 2. As the idea, it says, and Jesus calling out with a loud voice, this is him on the cross. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having, breathed, having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus saying, I commit my spirit. Same word is right here in 2 Timothy chapter 2 when it says, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What Paul is saying there, he says, listen, I've heard from Jesus, I've given it to you, now you need to give to faithful men who will then be able to teach others also. This is the, the what of discipleship or of making disciples. Jesus, as, as he, he gave everything over to the Father, and he says, I'm giving you my, my spirit. I'm entrusting you that you will take care. You will continue your plan. I'm taking my hands off, so to speak, here. This is exactly what he's saying, that, that the gospel has been entrusted to us for us to fulfill God's plan. The word is also used in First Peter. In chapter 4, verse 19, it says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So if you're going through suffering, if you're going through a difficult time, this verse is for you because it says that we entrust our souls to the one who does good. We can take our hands off our situation. We can say, no longer do I have to try to manipulate this or try to control this because I'm giving this to you. You're going to do what's good with it. And I'm trusting that you are good and sovereign God. So this, these, are how, these are just two examples or, or a couple of examples of how the same word is used. But here we understand that when you heard the gospel, when Jesus granted you faith, when the Spirit of God drew you to the Father like John teaches us, then we need to understand that he did that at the same time as he was doing that, he was entrusting you with it. He says, this is what you're going to do. You've got to make disciples. We see it in Matthew 28. We see it here in 2 Timothy. So the reality, the first reality we have to embrace is that God has been gracious to us and that we heard the gospel. The second reality is that as we heard the gospel, then we've been entrusted with it. There's something that we must do with it. Last week, I admonished us to not be gospel hoarders. And we have examples in the scriptures of people doing it or of not of taking what was entrusted to them and not, um, not doing what they should with it. First Timothy is one of those examples. Chapter 1, verse 18. Again, he's, Paul's writing to Timothy in the first letter, and he says, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy. He says, I'm telling you this. My child, in accordance with the prophecies previous made about you, that by them you may wage a good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience by rejecting this. Some have made shipwreck of their faith. What is he talking about when he says by rejecting this? He's saying that some people, they were entrusted with the same thing that Paul was entrusting to Timothy, and they rejected that entrustment, and they shipwrecked their faith. You see, you can't be a Christian. You can't be a, a disciple of Christ and not a disciple maker. It just doesn't work. If, if you want to only be a disciple of Christ and only have your eternal situation cared for but not interested in making others, according to 1 Timothy, you're going to shipwreck your faith. 
Because we've been entrusted with this. This is not something that has been given to us so we can say, whew, got eternity taken care of. I've got forgiveness. All right, now I can coast the rest of my life. I can live how I want to live. No, we've been entrusted with the gospel, not to keep it for ourselves, not to heap up the eternal blessings for ourselves. No, we've been entrusted with the gospel so that we can tell other people about Christ and so we can see other disciples made. That's why we're still here. This is the reality that we need to accept that if you have belief in Christ, then there's, 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 a, there's a responsibility that goes along with that. In his book on discipling, uh, Mark Dever gives this illustration. He says, suppose that if you had a friend in another town, maybe another state even, that you've been praying for to believe in Christ. And let's say that you heard and, and maybe you're talking on, uh, on the phone or, or through email or something. And this friend of yours tells you that he or she has finally accepted Christ. So he asks these questions. He says, how would you want the church that he starts attending to receive your friend whom you love? He says, presumably, you would want the congregation as a whole to take responsibility for him. You'd want the elders to teach him. You'd want a number of individuals in particular to reach out to him, to take them under their wing, to disciple him or her. And then you'd want them to teach and model what it means to study the Bible, to walk in righteousness, to evangelize, and to be a Christian spouse or parent, to stand up to the world, and to disciple others in return. He asked the question, Dever goes on, and he says, and how would you rejoice if that church respond, took responsibility for your friend like this? Wouldn't it make, make you feel so good that, that there's other believers that are caring and nurturing for the salvation and growth of your friend? And he asked this question. He says, now, do you receive and disciple the members of your church like this? Have you been helping others follow Christ? Are you the answer to prayer of Christians in other cities? That's a fair question. Are we involved in making disciples here? Now, there's a debate, or not even really a debate, but the, the question has been raised in this topic of, in discipleship, is, that, is evangelism part of discipleship? Is evangelism part of the discipleship, or is that evangelism separate than discipleship? I think that confuses the issue. I think that when making disciples, in order to make disciples, you have to evangelize, and then you have to help them grow. So I think it's all one issue here. And so as a congregation, my prayer and my aim and my vision and my passion and my goal for us is that we grow into a congregation that is just obsessive about seeing other people follow Jesus Christ. That we're helping each other in this room, that we're reaching outside these walls and we're welcoming people. And so when people come into our building that don't look the same as us, they don't smell the same as us, and they talk differently, and they may have different things about them that's a little different, that we don't care about those things. We only care if they're following Jesus Christ. We need to be, have a culture here that we're making disciples because the reality is that's what's been entrusted to us. Whether we recognize it or not, we have been entrusted to do this right here. He says in 2 Timothy, You've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So what are we entrusted to do? I've already started to answer this question, and I'll answer this and we'll be done. 
We're not entrusted to make moral people. You see, that's not the goal here. The goal isn't to get people that know the right thing to say or the right thing to do, necessarily. The goal isn't to make people who um, just have good values and good morals and they're going to stay out of jail. That's not the goal. I mean, if, if that's the goal, Mormons and the Amish have us beat, hands down. That's not the goal. The goal is not also to make a Bible quiz champ. Data transfer is not enough. Just giving information about the Bible is not enough. Now, are Bible studies important? Yes. Is teaching the Bible important? Absolutely. So I'm not saying that we, we don't teach Bible. Of course, I mean, that's, if, if I say we stop teaching the Bible here, I'm pretty much cutting my own job out, okay? So, so I'm not saying that, of course, and it's not the right thing. But what I am saying is that simply getting data transfer isn't the goal. Like, when, when, like with my daughter and my son, them knowing the right answer to say is not the most important thing to me. You all, for those of your parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know when your kids are giving you the answer that you want to hear, but you know it hasn't reached their heart. You know that. Okay? So our goal as a church is not just to give people to be able to regurgitate the right answer. Now, do we want people to know the Scriptures? Of course. We want their hearts to be deeply transformed by the reality of the Scriptures. The reason why just simply knowledge is enough because it, 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 that's not what God wants. In James chapter 2, James sarcastically says, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the, or good, even the, the demons believe and they tremble or they shudder. He says, so that, fine, you believe that God's true, that's fine, okay, big deal, even the demons believe that, but the demons, their hearts are not transformed or, or, or captured by the person of Jesus Christ. And so what we're entrusted to do is not simply to get people to know lots of facts about the Bible. Bible knowledge is important. Don't get me wrong, but it can't be the measure for success. That's the difference. We can't measure success of disciple-making simply if people can spit back facts about the Bible. There's a lot of people that know far more about the Bible than you and I combined, and they don't believe in Jesus Christ. Although that's not what it is. We're not entrusted to make people who make deals with God. Say, well, I need to believe, I need to ask Jesus into my heart so I don't go to hell when I die. Yeah, I'll do that. I remember in a ministry that I served in several years ago, there was a small children's ministry there, and I was walking down the hallway, and I heard the children's ministry uh, director teaching the kids and, and going through things, and, and this director saw me walk past and she, she asked me to come into the room. And so I went into the room, and uh, she said, and these were very, very young kids, uh, like, um, you know, not even school-age children. And she said, you know, Pastor Jeremy, a wonderful thing has happened today. And I said, well, what's that? She said, every student here has just asked Jesus to save them from their sins. Isn't that wonderful? Now, I'm in an awkward spot at that point, okay? You, re- you realize that, okay? I'm a pastor, and I got all these little eyes looking at me and, you know, wanting me to, to rejoice in this. And, and so here's what I said. I said, anytime someone 
truly ask Jesus to save them is a wonderful thing. And I thought, maybe I got a future in politics. <laughs> but um, because I don't believe most of those kids, and it was later confirmed as I had conversations with these kids, they had no clue what I was. See, here's what had happened. One person asked about, how does someone know when they go to heaven? Or actually, no, actually what started is the teacher says, how many of you want to go to heaven? And all the kids raise their hand. And then someone says, how do you go to heaven? She says, well, you got to ask Jesus to save you. And so they said, okay, we'll do that. And so they did it. And now on one hand, the gospel message is simple for a child to understand. Not going to deny that. But on the other hand, I don't know that the best evangelistic efforts are just saying, who wants to go to heaven? Who wants to go to hell? You know, and now let's let's repeat this prayer type thing. You see, we're not interested in people who just make a deal with God and say, "Um, I don't want to go to hell forever, so I'll say that I believe in you. But then their heart is nowhere near God, and they don't think about God at all, and they don't serve God. They have no interest about God at all, but yet they have a time when they pray to prayer. That's not making disciples. You see, we're not, we're not selling fire insurance to protect our assets in eternity. We're making disciple makers for God's glory and fame. So that's what we're not interested to make. What are we interested in making? Disciples. And we know that when they bear fruit, John chapter 15, verse 8 says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He says the proof of discipleship is that there is fruit in someone's life. Disciples bear fruit, period. If you're truly a disciple in Christ, there will be fruit in your life. Now, I'm not saying that there are times of of, of nearness and distance between God. All of the Christian life is a journey, and I get that. And there's times where we have more fruit and less fruit in different seasons of our life. I get that. But the reality is, is that a disciple, a true disciple of Christ, will bear fruit. That's what Jesus is teaching here. And so what he's saying here is he's saying that a a true disciple, a a person that has got the gospel, will then entrust that to faithful men who will then teach others also as well. So what we're teaching here really is that when I say what we are, are, are entrusted to make is disciples, really that's not technically true. I mean, it is true, but here's a, here's a more nuanced and more clear way to say this, is that it's not just disciples, it's disciple makers. See, we're entrusted to make other disciple makers. There are multiple generations here. I was once told that my parenting will not be validated in my children, but in my grandchildren. I was told when I was talking to someone about parenting once, several years ago, they said, Jeremy, you will know that you've been a successful parent, not when you get all of your values expressed to your children, but when they're expressing the same values to their children. That's when you know that you're a a successful parent. I think the same is true. We know that we are successful disciple makers when our disciples, whom we are introducing to Jesus Christ, are then making disciples themselves. 
You know, I, this picture I put up there is interesting. I've seen this before, and I'm sure you have as well. Of These are four generations listed there. It's a kind of a neat artistic way that people have captured that there in the pictures there. But I, I, when I see this, I can't help but think about our church and what our church should be like. And we should be able to trace back that someone told me the gospel, and then I've told them the gospel, and now they're telling other people the gospel. And the longer we stay on this earth, the more we should see that go on. But so many times we, we're just content with just saying, I'm going to transfer the data that I have, and then I'm done. But we need to have a, 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 a culture here in our church where we're passionate about people making disciples and the people that we disciple, that they become disciple-makers. Now, what does that insinuate or imply? It takes a long time. It takes a long relationship. These are not just quick things. You don't tell someone one time and then be done with them, move on to the next person. You spend time with people. You develop relationships with people. And sometimes it will take years and years and years and years before you start seeing people doing what they should be doing for the cause of Jesus Christ. And that's okay. Because God's placed us here, and while we're here, this is what we do. Which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Multiple generations here in this verse. Also in his book, Discipling, Mark Dever said this. He says, Jesus' final command was not to urge his disciples to armed resistance to Rome or seek revenge on those who killed him. Rather, Jesus looked at his followers and told them to make disciples, not just be disciples. I love that. It's so true. So as I close, what legacy will you leave? All of you are going to leave a legacy. I'm going to leave a legacy. What is your purpose for living? Well, why, why, do you, why do you get up every day? Is it so you can earn your money, so you can pay your mortgage? Look, your mortgage needs to be paid, and you do need to go to work. But there's a bigger purpose than that. Do you get up every morning because your kids need breakfast? Look, your kids need to eat. I get that, okay? But there's a bigger purpose than that. The reason why we get up in the morning should be from the scriptures is so that we can impact the world for Jesus Christ. And our children, when you're feeding them breakfast, that's a way to impact them for Christ. Going to work, that's a way to impact people for Christ. And we're going to get into this a little bit next week about the how of it. And I'll just say this. I won't, I won't, I won't preach next week's sermon now, which you're thankful for. But what I will say is this. We make it much more complicated than it really is. So the What? What are we talking about making disciples? Here's the thing is, we need to be passionate about, about people becoming disciple makers, that we pour into other people, that then they pour into other people after that. You know, our church has been around for a long time. And so in one aspect, in one aspect we've seen this. But one thing that I would love for us to see is just to, to, to tweak just a little bit is that instead of us continuing on our existence through other people coming in from different churches and things like that, or, or they move back to the area, move to the area, all that's fine and wonderful, and we love everyone who comes here. But you know what I want to see? I want to see first-generation Christians start coming here. I want to see people fresh, understanding the gospel for the first time in their life, and then they start learning, and then they start telling other people, and then they start telling other people. That's what I long to see. Now, 
We can continue that with our children, and you need to do that. And I have a responsibility. I've been entrusted to pass the gospel unto my children, just as you have. But he is. We've got to make disciples of all nations. So the reality is that you've heard the gospel. For many of you, God has shown his providence in not just hearing, but in granting faith. The reality is because of this gracious provision, you have been entrusted to do something. And that is make disciples. So the vision I have for here is that we have a culture of making disciples, and I pray that you share that vision, and that God puts that on our hearts. So next week, we're going to look at how. But for today, this is what we're told to do. You've been entrusted to do this. Now, if you're here today and you say, I'm not even a disciple of Christ, well, then you need to get on board with this, because you have heard the gospel. God has made you hear the gospel for a reason. And you're responsible for it. You cannot claim ignorance. When you stand before God, when you die, you can't say, I never knew this thing. So now you're responsible for it. So if, 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 this, if you're wading through this and you're saying, well, I don't even know if I believe in this. Well, let me help you with that and say, cry out to God and ask him for faith in you. And if you have that motivation in your heart, God's calling you to himself. And I would love to answer those questions you might. But for those of us who claim to be Christians and already be disciples of Christ, you've been entrusted to do something. So this week, let's make disciple makers. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can spend the time looking at this text, and I pray that we would have a culture of disciple making here in our church. We love you. We're grateful for what you've entrusted us to do. And Father, there's a lot of reasons, a lot of excuses that we like to give of why we don't do this, I pray your spirit would just shatter those right now and that we would just repent and obey. Thank you for Jesus saving us and entrusting the gospel to us. In Christ's name we do pray.